This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. You're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? Open up your copy of God's Word to the book of Titus. We are Titus chapter 3. Thank you, Joy, for sharing with us the words of We Go Forth in Grace Alone. Last week, we looked at that wonderful word of grace, and we saw in God's word in chapter 2, verse 11, that by, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to people. And we learned about that grace and what it means to be a believer for the now. And what that grace means as we think about hope in the the days ahead. I want us to think about today as we look at the beginning of chapter 3 and look at chapter 2 verse 15. This is a a great reason why we need to be people that that study the word. That we we read the Bible and understand that it is the Bible and, and that verse is the word of God. But once we realize how everything fits together from Titus chapter 1 to the end of Titus chapter 3, we begin to understand God's intent as he gave us this wonderful book called Titus. It is to the church. It's a church that uh, is being encouraged in who they are and how they conduct the life within the, the walls of the church. There's a lot of things within Titus that is what we must do here. We need to get some things right in here as the people of God so that, and there's always a so that, so that we can live forth carrying the work of grace, so that we can be people of grace. Chapter 3, verse 1, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. might want to circle no one there. Sometimes I think it's the church we... Forget that we're to speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray. The word literally says that we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. And that before Christ we were passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and even hating one another. But when, verse 4, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. 
And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and they are profitable for people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, the encouragement to understand what grace is and how we too can be and should be the people of grace. We thank you for your word, specific this morning found here in the book of Titus. Lord, is Paul was encouraging Titus to be faithful at the church to remind them, Lord, I'm thankful that your spirit and your word will remind us this morning. Remind us of these things. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 15 is a transitional statement there. It says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And so verse 15 is the closing of that section where it says, now declare these things, be about these things, instruct, rebuke, be serious about these things. Those things in the beginning of uh, verse 11, grace. Encourage people to understand what grace is, what the gospel is, and how the gospel changes our life presently, but yet how we live out the gospel and how we are, are people of the gospel and people of grace. And we see here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, what it is to be people of grace to understand who we are in Christ and let that affect us in our heart and let that change us, but importantly, not only our relationship with Christ, but our relationship with others. Because true grace and a true understanding of who we are in God and what grace is has a great impact on the way that we live for others and treat others and, and witness the gospel in front of others. So I want to encourage you this morning as we go through this word, as we go through this section, pray and ask the Lord to show you that you too may be people of grace. Verses 1 and 2. First, people of grace know how to live among others. So just think about that from the grassroots level. A person of grace knows how to live amongst others. The wonderful word of the gospel, if you notice in the, in the scripture, if you notice in the New Testament, the gospel came, Jesus came to change individuals so that individuals could share that message of change with others. Uh, the, the message of the gospel is about us having our walk right with God and we love that so much that we want everybody we know to un understand that and to see that and to be able to embrace that. And so when we understand what grace is, there's an understanding that there's a way that people of grace should live among others. Notice there in verse 1, remind them. That word is just, remember, you know, Titus, Titus is a pastor, he's an elder. A constant role of an elder teacher in a church is to remind. Isn't that true? Years ago, I, I, just to let you know some of the pastor's things that they do. I've got sheets of paper, so every January I go through and I write preaching calendar, and I just literally go through, and January 1, that was on a Sunday this year, you know, January 1, and I just go down and I type in columns every Sunday uh, of the year, and I just make a note 
what the sermon text was, a.m. and p.m., and I've done that for years, so somebody could ask me, do you remember what you preached the third Sunday in March 2008? Probably not off the top of my head, but I can go back and find it for you. But on the bottom of that, the first couple of years I did that, I wrote major things that I think a pastor should always be preaching on. Now, why do we do that? Because we have to constantly be reminded. You know, we don't preach one sermon on all times on tithing and never preach on tithing again. If we did that, we wouldn't be able to keep the lights on. We are constantly people that need to be reminded. Now, here's the great thing about what we're being reminded. We're being reminded who God is. We're being reminded what grace is all about. We're being reminded what the gospel is. We're being reminded what Christ has done for us. We're being reminded of the special great things of the Lord Jesus Christ and what that should mean for us. Every now and then, I just need to slow down as a human being. Have you ever done this? You just, you just, we're so busy, 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 and then all of a sudden, some thought comes to your mind, and it helps you to remember, to remind yourself, your family, or the things that you have, and the, not the material things, but the joy that you have in life. That happens to me often. I think as a church, we need to be reminded this morning, how do we live amongst others? Notice the verses. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now, I want to just go ahead and throw this out there. Submission is not something that we naturally cling to. It's kind of like children. Children are not just born to be obedient. Do you know that? So parents that are new parents, take a deep breath. You've just been liberated. You're not the only child that has little demon children. Now, we probably use the word demon in church, but... But, you know, children are naturally born to be disobedient. you ever notice that? I used to think when mine were little and they were disobedient, they were just picking it up from the Baptist kids in the nursery. <laughs> we naturally are not born to be submissive, if you think about it. We don't just naturally say, I cannot wait to get told what to do today. Cannot wait to go to work and get children are not sitting there right now going, oh, I cannot wait to be told what to do for my parents today. I'm so excited. Well, children, let me tell you something. I'm 50 years old and I'm still being told what to do by my parents. That's just part of it. A lot of it has to do with this word. She's still my mother and I'm still her child. Part of the Christian life as a believer is this word, submission. We have to get to a point and we have to understand that the word literally means get to your spot. And it is so difficult for us in our world to be submissive to anything because it does not naturally come to us. That is a result of the fall. We're not naturally wanting to be submissive to rules. We don't understand. We don't want to follow. But over and over and over in Scripture, you see that we are called to be submissive to those that lead us. Be submissive to rulers and authority. All of life is getting to our spot. Whether we work, whether we serve, what we do. Think about Mark 10, 45. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I did not come to, to serve, but to be served. I didn't come to, to serve others, but to be served, but to be served by others. Jesus came as a servant. He didn't come. He came as the king. Is Jesus Christ the king of the universe? 
But what did he do? He lived a life of service and became a ransom for everyone. Jesus Christ became the ultimate servant for our sins. What a great model. When I think about evangelism, you know what I think one of the missing components in evangelism today? I think, and and I know we have different gifts and we're motivated by different things. I have a very relational understanding of evangelism. I think that as we live out the gospel, we share the gospel. I tell people we need to be relational in our evangelism and let the gospel confront So you could have confrontational evangelism is more in your face directly sharing the gospel. I have always felt more comfortable. I'm kind of a people person. I've always had a very relational aspect of evangelism that we we need to be building relationships with people so that we can share the gospel with them. It's kind of what Christ did. It's kind of what missionaries do. We leave here and we submit and we find our spot and we're servants in our workplace. We're servants in everywhere. Sometimes I think we think because we're Christians that the world owes us something. The world does not owe us anything. We owe everything to the Lord. And he died on a cross for us. And the disciples were servants for us. They gave a great picture of humility and serving those. We need to be people of grace. And we need to know how to live amongst others. And the first thing is, we need to know that we are there to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as we serve others. Biblical evangelism to me is investing in our community, influencing people with the gospel, and inviting people to come to Christ. We're willing. I I was talking to someone this week, and, and I was thinking about a lot of times we think this. I'm in the workplace, and I expect every everybody in that workplace to act like me. And we don't understand why they don't get it. You know, I'm, I'm living in the workplace, and, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. They need to understand that I'm a Christian. They need to, The workplace needs to act like me. And you think about what a missionary does. When a missionary goes to China, do, do we send missionaries over to China? Do we get off the plane and tell the Chinese, okay, you need to learn English so you can become a Christian, so you can understand the gospel. You need to quit eating like Chinese, and you need to eat hamburgers and french fries. That's the food of glory. Fried chicken and casseroles, all right? I went to China and lost 10 pounds. Maybe I need to go to China every, every January. I think I need a China mission trip. We need to work that in the budget. I don't, them 10 pounds are coming on every Christmas. We go to China. We, we invest in that community. We, we learn their language. We try to, to dress as close to them. We try to become part of them. We don't, we don't adapt their pagan religions, but we, we're willing to do whatever we can do to build relationships with the Chinese. We get to know our neighbors. We want to do nothing that is offensive. We try to do everything that we can do to get them to know us so that we can build trust with them so that we can share the gospel with them. Why can we not do that in America? Why are we so quick to offend as Christians in America? Why are we so quick to judge people in America that don't act like us and do like we do? They don't do the things that we do because they haven't met the Savior that we met. And I'll add to that, some people don't want to meet the Savior we think we've met because of the way we treat them. Amen? Be humble and gracious. And submit. 
Submit to those that are over you. Be willing to serve them because Christ was willing to be served by you. Submit to those and rulers in authority. Be obedient. Be ready for every good work. I love that, be ready for every good work. It's, it carries this idea. As a Christian, here I am, all right? Here I am, I, I'm living in the world, I'm ready, okay? I'm ready for something. I'm not a big hockey fan, but I was watching hockey last night eating. Uh, you can always tell that you're in, uh, in a part of the, the, the country where we have a lot of northern guests because you have hockey on in restaurants. Y'all got that, didn't you? And so you get in the, you get in the I don't know anything about hockey, the timeout booth, I call it, the little timeout section, penalty box, there it is. You get in the penalty box, and you've got your two-minute you know, little thing, and then the clock's going off, and that, them, them hockey folks are watching that little clock, and the second that penalty's over, what do they do? Gone. Pew! And the, that's where we ought to be. We are ready for every good work. We are ready. I think Christians in the workplace ought to outwork everybody. There should not be a something, anything as a, as a lazy believer. We ought to be willing to outwork. In it. We're always ready to encourage. We're always ready to serve. We're always ready to help. And we're ready to do it because it gives us an opportunity to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're ready. Be ready for every good work. You're looking to serve. You're looking to help. You're looking to witness. You're looking to make a difference. Speak evil of no one. Now, how, I mean, we don't need to be a Greek expert to understand that, do we? No one's a pretty big picture, is it not? Speak evil of no one. You know, one of the things I know and you know and we've heard forever and ever, I don't want to say anything about somebody that I wouldn't say it in front of them. And that really limits the things that we say, isn't it? Can you imagine sending a wrong text to somebody? Have you ever done that? Can anybody, one of our youth who are willing to admit they've done that, or parents, you know, send a, a wrong text to somebody? I do that on purpose to the kids a lot. Can I let you know a little secret? Might make Sharon blush. Every now and then I'll send our family text, Honey, I love you, heart, 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 heart. And then, then about five minutes later, I'll say, Oh, sorry, I thought that was just a mom. So then they all respond, Okay, that is gross. I do it just to be funny. But how, how, how embarrassing is it to send a text to somebody you're talking about and you forgot they're in that group? Well, just don't say anything anyway. Don't say anything you wouldn't say to them if they were in their face. You know, that is a great thing to live by. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Avoid, it, it carries the same thing about being ready for every good work. You're looking to stay out of an argument. Some of us love to get in an argument. Especially with politics, it's just like we're just looking for something to argue over. Avoid it. Why? We're people of grace. Be gentle. Show perfect, I don't even know how to lay that out there. Perfect courtesy to all people. Now we're all working on that, aren't we? People of grace show perfect courtesy to all people. To be people of grace, we need to know how to live 
among others. And we're greatly concerned about those others. We are literally here because the Lord has left us here for a reason. And that reason as a believer is to live out grace in a world that needs to receive it, see it, and believe in it. The Bible says that we're appointed once man to die, then the judgment. The Lord is in charge of that, not me. People of grace know how to live among others. Secondly, people of grace understand what the gospel has done. Now, all this kind of, it all fits together. People of grace know what the gospel has done. Sometimes, the, the longer we're a Christian, the harder it is to remember what it's like to be lost. Some of us, what a great testimony, you've grown up in church your whole life. There was never a point in a time that you did not believe in God. You just think, well, I'll just, I'm just going to church. Somebody was asking me about the men's conference. They said, well, you know, you know, the third and fourth men's conference, live simulcast, Pastor Johnny Hunt. Johnny's one of the guys I reference a lot. And they say, why do you like Johnny Hunt so much? I said, one, I know him. I mean, it's one thing, to, one thing to say I know John MacArthur just because I had a picture with John MacArthur and I was probably acting a little weird to get by him. It's kind of weird. You, get around, you, got, you all act weird when you get around famous people. I met Coach Rick and I introduced Emily as my wife. How embarrassing was that? <laughs> the kids got in the car and said, Dad, you just kind of crumbled on that. Well, I don't know what happened. I saw the football coach, and I introduced him as my wife. Now, that's weird. See, God has a way to keep you humble, all right? I love Johnny Hunt because he loves pastors. He's older than me, and he is literally investing guys like me all over the world. And I like Johnny Hunt because it's real to him. And maybe it's real to him because he got saved later in life. And he's driven to pour the gospel into men because he knows the fight men are going through. His testimony, his little testimony is from the pool room to the pulpit. And he was a pool player and got saved and uh, life just drastically changed. Now, salvation is drastically changing whether you are in the pool room or not. I, all of our testimony is wonderful. We were dead and we're alive in Christ. But some of us have been in church our whole life with a blessing. But we need to never forget what the gospel has done and who we were before grace showed up. Notice there in verse 3, for we ourselves, when we look at the world if they do not know Christ, the only difference between us and them is grace. Because if not for grace, we would be just like them. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasure, passing our days in malice and envy, hatred by others, hating one another. That's the picture of the world that we live in apart from grace. That is an individual apart from the saving grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so were we once. Now that's not a very nice thing to say about somebody, but that's the condition we are when we are dead in our trespasses and sin. I want to read for you. You can just listen. Timothy 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 
This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now this is 1 Timothy 1, 15, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Who would amen that? Christ came into the world to save sinners. But notice what Paul says, of whom I was the worst. Now how hard is that for us to say? I think sometimes we think, we don't really think it, but we think it. Why wouldn't he have saved me? I grew up going to church, and I never was a bad person, and my parents were good, and I never was bad, so there was just a natural progression for me to be saved. No. We have to come to the point that we were wretched sinners and that God saved me by his grace, and I responded by faith. By grace, through faith, we are saved. Once we realize that, we're grateful for grace. We understand what grace has done. We understand how grace has transformed us. And we want everybody else to understand how wonderful and glorious grace is. We can never forget who we once were and what the gospel has done. It has literally changed us from the inside out. It changes our desire. Instead of having desires and passions for things of the world, we should have desires and passions for the things of the Lord. People of grace know what the gospel has done. When we look at lost people, when we look at the world, when we, when we get aggravated, I'm just like you are. I'm no, just because I'm a pastor, that doesn't mean I'm, I've got some perfect life I live. I get just as aggravated with the world as you do. I get just as aggravated in politics. I get just as aggravated with society. I get just as aggravated with crime. I get just as aggravated the way people treat one another. But apart from grace, so were we. What does the word say? Ourselves. That helps me relate. When I talked to a man that, that was growing up in the 80s, and I hear the, the 80s, and they, they've never gotten out of the 80s, and their life is not following Christ, and they're, they're following the thing to the flesh, and they've got these habits, and they've got these things, I can relate to that because I was that way myself. And it gives me an understanding of being able to, to share the gospel in a way and know that grace does make a difference. I think one of the reasons we don't see true conversion going on in our churches like it needs to is because we are not living in grace out there. I think we have forgotten what the gospel can do. We see the world and we hate it. We see the world and we're aggravated by it. We see the world and we want to talk about it. And we want to pull into our little commune and build our walls higher and put Constantina wire across the top of it and mount guards at the doors. And we do everything we can do to keep the world out because if they don't believe like us, we don't need them in here. It wasn't long ago we were on the outside. We can never forget that. It is grace that saved us. And it will be grace that will save them. Verse 4. Circle but when. We ourselves, verse 3, but when. Something happened. People of grace understand that something happened. People of grace understand 
what the gospel has done for them. But when the goodness and the loving kindness, look at those two great words, a good person, a loving person, that's God. When the goodness and the loving kindness, not just kindness, but a loving kindness, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that is loving kindness. I'll submit to you this morning, you are sitting here this morning because of loving kindness of God. I was sharing with someone this week. I always say that because half the time I just can't remember who I was talking to. I'm not trying to be private and can't disclose names. I just talk to so many people. I don't know who I'm talking to. Here's how life works when it comes to things like this. We live life. I'm living life. Everything we do is we live our life. We have real choices that have a real impact. I'm choosing to do this, I'm choosing to do that, I'm choosing to do this. There might be somebody sitting here this morning, and you know that your heart has never repented of their sin. You've never opened up your heart in repentance and faith. You got up this morning and you made a choice. Am I going to come to church or am I not going to church? That was a real choice. And that was a real choice you made. But here's how that works. We make real choices every day of our life. And every one of us know this. And then we get to a certain point, let's say in the future, let's say we're at day one and then we're at day 50. We look back and we realize we made real choices, but we also realize God was all over those choices. Isn't that true? We made real choices that had a real difference and made a real impact, but we know, how many of us even said that? You know, I, I was living life and doing things, and oh my goodness, that God brought me here. I mean, just the simple things in life. We know we made a choice and it was a real choice to do something, but we know in actuality, in that choice, God was all over it. So friend, you made a choice whether or not to come to church here this morning. You've had a choice to work where you work. You've got a choice to do everything, but I'm telling you, God is all over that choice. And even if you're sitting here today and you know your life is not where it needs to be, I promise you the devil did not bring you in here this morning to hear this. God did. Why? He loves you, and he's kind and full of grace and mercy, and he wants you to know him. I believe people that we encounter, I, I really believe this. If I'd slow down long enough and live it out, I believe every time I go to the convenience store, every time I go to a checkout, it is by God's loving kindness and mercy that that person is checking me out. I'm a believer. I'm a person of grace. But we go through life so fast and so rapid and so busy that we forget that there's a loving and a kind God working. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Jesus Christ appeared. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff tonight um, in our pastor talk. You see some of the things we're going to talk about. That's key. The key to understanding scripture is to realize Christ appeared. There was a, a major change in the old covenant, the new covenant, when Jesus Christ appeared. When God became flesh and he appeared, when Christ died on the cross and ascended, when Christ rose from the dead and then ascended, when the Holy Spirit came upon us, those were very significant things. The gospel has appeared. And it appeared in King Jesus. And that's what we share. It did appear. Notice verse 5. What this gospel has done. He saved us. 
When you think of the word saving, it is coming out of something into something else. It is a, a, a situation of peril. People are not just bad. People are bad and they're going to hell. When you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, a high school friend of Brantley and Katie, uh, Katie well, it's Katie too. I get Brantley and Katie Bryce and Emily passed away. Car wreck this week. I coached him in soccer. Yes, Josh, I played a little soccer. I coached him in baseball, riding down the road, texting, dead, 25 years old. This is heart-wrenching to me. One of Brantley's friends was asked to do the funeral, and the parent says, I don't want any religion. See, we live in a world that we think that because you're a good person, you live in a world and you believe some facts, listen, it isn't religion. Jesus Christ has saved us. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and once we realize that Jesus Christ has saved us, we become different because we realize we were dead in our trespasses and sin. It's not just a message of religion or pushing what you believe. He saved us. And when we're people of grace, we understand that. See, all of Scripture is about the gospel. All of Scripture is about grace. All of Scripture is about Christ. Yes, there's imperatives. Yes, there's do's and there's don'ts and there's wills and there's won'ts. But the gospel is all about grace, how we live in such a way so that we can understand what Christ has done for us. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Have you ever thought about this from the standpoint? What prevented you from being born in a third world country in a jungle under a coconut tree and never hearing the gospel? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, how can you, you want to talk about getting on your knees and thanking God for grace? You know, you think about the pastor of the picture, the pictures of the pastors out on the wall. I know we're in the process of renovating and things are changing. And so I told somebody this morning, we're trying to keep everybody on their toes. It's like, you know, we're rearranging the furniture every week. So you just got to be on your toes when you come to church now. But you think about some of you that have been around a little bit longer than me. And you think about all those faithful pastors that you've had and the history you have here at church. What a blessing. It is only by grace that you were not born to lost pagan idol worshipers, Buddhists in some jungle somewhere. That's grace. That doesn't mean we don't pray for those, but just think about it. You were born in a great country with parents that took you to church. You're sitting here this morning and you're freely getting to hear the gospel and singing songs of the faith. You live in a great land. It has issues, but it's still a pretty good place to live. Amen? That's grace. You had nothing to do with that. If we don't embrace that, we're missing it. That's grace. That you were in a youth group and you heard the gospel. That you, were, you gave your life to Christ. That you had a preacher that preached the word. That is grace. Not by works that we have done, but by his righteousness. We're people of grace because of what the gospel has done. 
but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I had a, I'm having my little dad talks with my son. I'm getting used to these dad talks. Where like a, I told Sharon the other day, I said I've had like three adult conversations with my son. So the one the other day was they were going to the funeral. I said, now Brantley, here you go. She's your new wife, and you're going to be around all your high school buddies. And high school buddies love to talk bad about their wife. I'm just telling you, it happens. I said, you treat Katie like she is the most important thing in your life, and she is your treasure. That was advice one. Man, that's pretty good stuff, by the way. You don't ever say anything negative about your wife. You know what I'm talking about. This advice was a few weeks ago. Advice, that advice was two. Advice one the other day. Son, have a short memory. Can I hear an amen, men? I know what we say in the premarital counseling. Everything's going to be great. Yes, your wife. And I tell them, first thing I tell you, you know this. First thing I tell husband and wife, and they sit down in front of me. You're marrying a sinner? You're marrying a sinner. <gasps> no. I know my parents. What's really funny is when you counsel people that they grew up here and their parents are here, you know who you are. And as you go through premarital counseling, they say, well, we know our parents didn't do it exactly right, but we're going to be different. I'm like, here's a lesson to that. Have a short memory because you're not marrying perfection. Don't bring up the past. Don't bring up mistakes. Don't bring up what they're doing wrong. You know why? Because God does it. Notice what the word says that we have been washed of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I'm a, I'm a person of grace because I know what the gospel has done. Yes, I did some things. I, I, there's several of you that kind of grew up in the same era I did. Praise the Lord we didn't have smartphones in the 80s. I mean, I don't think I could literally find a job as a pastor if somebody could say, well, we did some investigating on you in high school and we saw a vine in a Snapchat. You're not qualified. Praise the Lord, that's gone, and my sins are forgiven. Yes, there are spiritual scars. Yes, there are decisions that we make affect those for a long time. But when we get right and we get real, it does not matter what we have done if we give it to Jesus Christ. And he said, I will wash you and cleanse you. And he says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be renewed the moment you get saved. Isn't that great? That's what the gospel's done. People of grace know that. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. There's no measuring cup with God when it comes to his grace. He pours it out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Through the gospel. So that. Key word. So that. Verse 4 was but when, now verse 7, so that being justified, remember that legal term last week, we had declared not guilty, justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're part of the family. A church is a family. We enter into the family and the household and the building of God. The moment that we are saved, we become part of the, uh, God's kingdom and God's glory. We become the church. Isn't that a, just wonderful? 
You're no longer dead and you're trespassing and sin, but you're alive. You're one of us. We're part of heaven. We're part of glory. We're part of God's. Ephesians 1 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now just think about that. How many blessings do you think God has? If there's a, 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 a warehouse in heaven full of God's blessing, how big do you think that place is? How many square feet by square feet do you think God stores building of blessings is? It's ours. Every spiritual blessing. See, the gospel is not about prosperity. The, pro, the, the gospel is not about the physical, tangible blessings. It's like you're never sick, you're rich, and everything always goes your way. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we have been justified by his grace and we become heirs to the household of God, to the hope of eternal life, and we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. God's favor upon our life, God's presence upon our life, God's promises upon our life. That's what the gospel has done. And people of grace know that. People of grace know how to live among them others. People of grace know what the gospel has done. And then last, look at verse 8. People of grace know what they need to be about. This saying is trustworthy. I want to insist on these things so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote. Now, I, I like that word devote. It's devotion. It's passion. It's excitement. It's what drives you. It's what you're excited about. People of grace know what they need to be about. What are we about? What is our passion? What, what is it that gets us going? What is it that we think about? What is it that is hanging out there in the future that we're concerned about? To people of grace, it's the gospel. To people of grace, we're devoted to having a, a gospel-filled life, a gospel-filled family, a gospel-filled church, a gospel. It's all about the gospel. I look at all the things that we have. I believe even the passions that we have and the things that we enjoy tangibly down here this side of heaven are a gift from the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying God's goodness in things. But are those things driving us to understand more about the goodness of God and the gospel? People of grace know what they need to be about. Notice, this is a trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things. Paul's reminding us, uh, God is reminding us, Paul was reminding Titus, God is reminding us, this is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. Be a person of grace. Be a person that understands how to live among others. Be a person that understands what the gospel is about. Be a person that understands what their life is about. That those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Now, that word works, I just that's not my favorite word because it becomes things that I do. But works is also who we are and how we live. We think about works negatively too much. By grace through faith we're saved, not of works, but yet we're created as God's workmanship. I show you my faith, James would say. I show you my faith plus my word. When we meet Jesus Christ, here's a good example. When you meet somebody you love, your life changes. When you met your wife, your life changed. When you meet Jesus Christ, your life changed. You become a person of grace. 
You treat people differently. You speak to people differently. You speak about people differently. You live your life differently. It's just you're a person of grace. These things are excellent. And they're profitable. You want your life to be excellent? Be a person of grace. You want your decisions to be excellent? Be a person of grace. You want your family to be excellent? Be a person of grace. You want your career to be excellent? Be a person of grace. You want your your friends to be excellent? You want everything in your life to be excellent? Be a person of grace. And it's profitable for all people. If we live as people of grace and the people among us, if we live as people of grace and we don't forget about the gospel, if we live as people of grace and we know what we need to be about, it is going to be profitable for us. It will be profitable for our church. It will be profitable for our our city. It will be profitable for our nation. I keep saying this. What is going to make a difference in our country is not Pennsylvania Avenue as much as 100 North Lake Avenue. If the church would be the church, if people would be the people, if grace would be grace, we'll be a nation of grace, a church of grace, a family of grace. Remind them of these things. They're important. This is trustworthy and I insist on. And God is saying, be people of grace. Let's stand that lead us in a closing prayer. Lord, we do thank you for grace, great grace. We're thankful, Lord, that you sent your son to die on a cross for our sin so that we may understand grace. Lord, I pray that we would be your people, that we would have an assurance of our salvation this morning, but also, Lord, that we would be a people that lived out grace. That we understand that such a time as this, there needs to be people of grace, a church of grace, a message of grace. For those that are lacking that assurance, for those that may be here this morning, Lord Jesus, that have never publicly professed you and followed through with baptism and committed their life to you, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, for those that are believers, I pray that we would start living out that grace. And that as your spirit has shown us this morning, there are always things we need to be working on. But we're thankful for your grace. Lord, continue to draw us nearer as we hear your word and follow your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.